The it is the late nineteen eighties in southeastern Angola, where one of the biggest battles of a war many outside of the region have probably ever heard of is pitched to take place. Not between Angola and another fighting force, but between Cubans and Russians against the South African Defense Forces. This would be a decisive battle in the war known as the South African Bush War. Now, many people have never heard of uh, such a war, and that's the trend, I guess, with these wars that happened during the Cold War, other than Korea and Vietnam, is that not a lot of people have heard of them. Not even a lot of Americans tell you about the invasion of Grenada, the invasion of Panama, the invasion of, or sorry, the, uh, when American forces landed in Haiti to, uh, keep democracy upheld. But, uh, this was a 23-year-long war, started in the 60s, ended in the, ended right before 1990. And it is very much quite interesting because why would there be Cubans? in fighting against South Africans in Africa. And of course, we all know why the Russians were there. It was to uphold the Angolan, uh, you know, communist state. So why don't we go back and we, we can look at the context here. Look at our context. So the region, right, uh, the Cape was inhabited by the Boers, uh, as a you know Dutch crown colony, and when the Dutch fell to uh, Napoleon, it was just kind of like, well, I guess it's uh, ours now, isn't it? And uh, yeah, so after the Dutch were you know reinstated, and they were like, yo, can we have uh, you know our colonies back? And they went, Britain was like, sure, yeah, you can have your colonies back. We're gonna keep uh, South Africa. Though. They're like, dude, that's pretty cool. They're like, now we're keeping it. And it's important to know that the Boers have, had slaves. And at that time, you know, slavery was illegal uh, in England. So in 1830, the Boers made what was called the Great Trek and went into the South African bush and expanded to what to the modern-day borders of South Africa, I guess you could say into the Natal region, uh, and there they stayed until Britain came knocking. After the Zulu Wars, the victory at Rourke's Drift, where uh, a few hundred British soldiers beat a few thousand Zulu soldiers, and before that, was the on the same day, was the Battle of East Sandawanda, which is the largest defeat of a colonial modern power to a native force with inferior technology. Which just shows you how formidable a fighting force the Zulus were. The Brits were now on the doorstep of the of the Boers, and what happens is right the Boers who now had control over a lot of diamond fields in South Africa, and they were like we kind of want to keep these, and the Br British were like you know diamonds are pretty cool. They decide you know what we're gonna wage war. Okay, you know what you guys you're kind of being rude. We just want to annex uh, the Tower Republic of the Orange Free State and Transvaal, which were the three Boer uh, nations. 
they'd be like, dude, we just want to hand it to you, we just want to take your diamonds, you know, it's whatever, come on. And they were like, you know what, no. So Britain half-heartedly goes to war against the Boers, and the Boers use what I explained previously in the Rhodesian Bush War episode, what was known as the commando system, right? Where uh, these, uh, anyone between the ages of 12 through 60 would be drafted into the military, they would be required to bring their own for, ho horse, food for a while, and weapons. And it was at the decisive battle of uh, Majuba Hill, which had the Boers actually win the first Boer War, keyword their first, uh, against the British. And at Majuba Hill was interesting, because there was only one guy who really wanted to carry on the fight. And had he not been shot and killed in the beginning of the Battle of Majuba Hill, British forces would have been massacred. British forces continually lost to the Boers because the Boers were not only expert cavalrymen because uh, an expert rifleman, uh, they were also expert riflemen because they were forced, they were living off the land. That was their, their way of life was, was killing animals and riding their horses. And this is a resounding victory for the Boers. So, England comes back a few years later in, the, in 1900, and they're like, you know what? Yeah, you guys, we're taking it for real now. This is going to be a real war. And for years, they wage what was known as the Second Boer War. And this time, in order to fight the guerrilla tactics, tactics that were used by the Boers, one of the earlier uses of, the, of guerrilla tactics, uh... They were like, you know what, you guys, we're going to start using, we're going to invent, actually, concentration camps. That's right, you heard it here, folks. The British were the first to use concentration camps. Absolutely absurd, isn't it? It is absolutely absurd. You would think a nation like Britain would know better, especially at that time, is still know better than to subjugate the entire population. They used scorched earth tactics. They burned them out, and they destroyed them, and they said, you're ours now. And uh, then for the next couple decades, you know, South Africa was firmly under the control of the British. Um, however, they were given a lot of autonomy, just kind of like Canada. Uh, they were given a ton of autonomy, and it was in the First World War where German Namibia would be conquered by South Africa, and they would just hold on to that for a while, and they were like, you know, well, we kind of like it, and the UN was like, no, 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 after the Second World War, you guys gotta give that up, and they were like, well, uh, no, 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 it's kind of part of our country now, whatever, and so, uh, they, it was kind of peaceful there for a while until the Namibians were like, this really isn't cool having this whole apartheid thing. Remember the South Africans, which at the time, 25% of the population was white. And this 25% of the population controlled uh, the minority population in apartheid, which is disgusting. And they decide that, right, it's like, well, okay, we kind of don't want to give up control of Namibia. We kind of like Namibia a lot. So why don't we just say no to that? So the Namibians are like, well, okay, time to start fighting. And this becomes known as the Namibian War of Independence, which lasts about 30 years.
And South Africa starts to fight that war. And they're not instituting the commando system yet, but they're they're getting ready. And they're, they as well uh, talk about weapons, you know, classically, you communist forces who were in Namibia and in Angola and the Cubans, they all used the AK, a formidable weapon, 7.62 round, unbreakable, just like the 1911. And the South Africans used the uh, FAL at first, and then they switched to the Galil, I believe, if I am correct there. I hope I am correct there. If I looking at the facts right now, and I believe I'm correct, but anyways, so this war, they're like, you know, not really cool, guys, Namibia, not really cool, Namibia was well, like, you know, you guys are, you know, kind of oppressing us, so that's not really cool, and this draws uh, the ire of, uh, of the Soviets, and they're like, hmm, you know, right now there's civil war in Angola, maybe if we can capitalize, if we can you know, make sure Angola stays communist, we can make Namibia communist, and Cuba was actually more of a believer in this than the USSR, because the USSR thought Latin America was more the future of communism rather than Africa, which Cuba sought to be the, the future of communism. Oh, my nose is clogged right now, guys. Sorry about that. Oh, the allergy season up here in the north. Um, so, right, he's... Uh, Castro is, is taking the... He's like, you know, I kind of like what's going on in Angola. Maybe if we uh, you know, tip the tides, we can do some cool stuff. Angola's in a civil war. And the Angolan civil war uh, draws the ire of, of South Africa, who is now starting to create their indu- military-industrial complex. And uh, there is a small panhandle in northeastern Namibia where... South Africa had started to set up bases. They were moving their artillery up there. And then that's when they start. And they're like, you know what? We got to change the tide of the Angolan Civil War. It's not really going our way. It's not going the capitalist way. that you need a way. So South Africa starts to kind of invade a little bit. And the Cubans are not fans of this. Not one bit. Not at all, in fact. And... The Cubans are like, well, you know what? If the USSR isn't going to do anything because uh, South Africa was at that time a staunch ally, or, well, its public image was diminishing. Uh, it was still an ally, though, because it was hard hardline anti-communist of the Western world. Uh, and at this point, also had nuclear weapons. A lot of people don't know that South Africa had... Uh, a lot of nuclear weapons. And they are like the Cubans are kind of not enjoying what's going on here. So they decide, you know what, if the Soviets are just going to send advisor, we're going to send actual men to fight this war. We're going to send the, the full force of the Cuban manpower. And they sent, I believe, 20,000 uh, troops over. And this is when South Africa starts ramping and ramping it up and ramping it up. And this is when fighting actually breaks out. Is the uh, the fighting starts to uh, ramp up a lot, and 
there's lots of guerrilla warfare, there's lots of cross-border raids, a classic of Africa, if you will, is using another country as, and it's a very intelligent strategy too, because these countries are so massive that you can use their unguarded borders because a lot of the countries don't have the resources to guard the borders as ways to say, hi, hi, you can't, you guys can't get me anymore, legally speaking. So, the, the battles start to ramp up, right, and there are two very important battles, uh, in the war, uh, uh, the first one is Quito Quanaval. Uh, in the Battle of Quito Quanaval, it placed the uh, the what's it called the South Africans against Russian advisors and against the Cubans. And at this point, South Africa had modernized its air force, its army, and they were uh, pushing in. And using air force, Cubans had brought along for the Russians uh, anti-air cannons. And it's interesting because this is when two modern armies meet. And that's the name of this episode is when, when modern armies meet the South African Bush War. Right. It's when they meet, it gets interesting because it's, you know, fast jets against anti-air cannons. And you've got tanks. And there was another battle that its name eludes me, sadly. But uh, they had tried the 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 communists had tried to use the a river right there was a river to get across to get to South African artillery and they had tried to use tanks a tank to go into the river and then have other tanks cross it which is interesting but those tanks got shredded and they would fall into the river and it was a resounding South African victory because these people were. Uh, quite good fighters, and originally, right, it's the it's only white people who are fighting. It was all white men between the ages of sixteen and sixty who would go to fight the war. But eventually, they started letting the Africans in, and the Africans were some of the most formidable fighters within the uh, South African ranks. They were extremely uh, good fighters. And the Battle of Quito Quanavale takes place, and it is a major um, victory at first for the South Africans. They defeat uh, one of the communist organizations in an offensive, and they're preserving UNITA's control, who is allied allied with the the apartheid government, even though they're controlled by, you know, it's a it's an African group. They're allied with the the apartheid government because they have ideological similarities. Despite you know having maybe uh, by having different difference uh, differences in their uh, racial ideology, they both hate communists so much that they team up. And Unita has been operating since the Portuguese colonial war, right? So you've got them firmly in control now, but then the communists are able to repulse the South Africans back uh, quite a bit, and then. After a while, right, South Africa just has to withdraw from the war entirely. And this is because in the 80s and 90s, right, the government was kind of like dealing with, they were trying to suppress uh, the African population. 
and apartheid truly disgusting system. They would go in and basically do whatever they wanted to try and suppress these uh, these people who were protesting mostly peacefully. Mostly peaceful protests. And with the drawing nearer and nearer of the realization that apartheid could no longer go on, and with violence and murder rates ramping up in the 80s and 90s, the South African Defense Force uh, has to pull out of not only the uh, not only Angola, but later Namibia. And Namibia will gain its independence finally after a long time. And uh, obviously Nelson Mandela, one of America, uh, one of sorry, not America, what is Africa's probably Africa's most infamous man and and greatest leader to ever exist who spent years in prison for simply wanting equal rights. He is eventually handed over power from uh, de Klerk, who was the president. And the transition took a little bit. It took a, a few years. But it was an effective transition. It was a mostly peaceful transition. Right? South Africa actually denuclearized. They had multiple bombs with the strength of uh, Hiroshima. And the idea was that they needed the these Hiroshima strike bombs, right? Because had they some if they were to start losing the war, right, and they pushed into Namibia, then they would need a nuclear strike in order to preserve apartheid. But thank God, apartheid had died, and the war went on. Uh, the war, which had lasted for a very long time, which was a guerrilla war, but also had major battles. It was finally over. Apartheid was over. And Africa's warring periods would start to die down more. There's still a lot of war in Africa. But in in the, the most... In, in southern areas of Africa, war would start to uh, subside a lot. And another uh, big part of what happened there was... That Angola had millions and millions and millions of mines placed. And... Trying to disarm these mines was a major process for the Angolan government. Uh, Princess Diana famously went to Angola to help with the mines. And they, to disarm these landmines. And, yeah, it's it's just a really interesting conflict when you look at it. Because some of these moors will go on for so long and you'll never hear about them. It's insane. But uh, yeah, that was today's episode. I hope everybody had an, an, uh, enjoyed listening to it. In the next episode, it's Fighting in the Streets, Ireland, where we will talk about the the Irish Revolution, a favorite of mine, uh, because of its uh, the way it played out and what happened and its leaders. And that's another part that's very interesting about um, a lot of what I'm talking about. Most of these episodes have been about uh, guerrilla warfare and guerrilla fighting, and that has taken over the traditional way of warfare. So, uh, another question to be posed is, what is the future of war? What happens when another giant war like World War Two sparks out, and it will happen happen eventually? What will happen, right? Like, what will actually like? How will the battles play out? Isn't that it? that's an interesting thing to think about, right? How is this going to play? Will it be a guerrilla war, maybe? That wouldn't make sense with such massive armies, but I don't know. Thank you all for watching. 
Everybody have a good day. See you later.